So today we're going to talk about how to become a designer, or not necessarily how to get a job in design, but how to just become a designer, how to take an interest in it, how to make that your career path or your hobby path. So I suppose to start off with like the type of person, you know, the personality of uh, a designer and what it takes, because not everyone is cut out for it really, but it's not, no. it's not necessarily one of those things that you can't learn. And you can't mold yourself into either. It's not like you're, you're born to be a designer. Anyone can do it. Mm. Um, it just takes a certain type of person, I think, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so I think most important is someone who's creative in nature. So whether that's, you know, you, you've just got a, an, an eye for it, you, you know, you like experimenting, you like, you like designing, you like drawing, you like painting, these sorts of things. Um, if you've got a general interest in that, then it's gonna it's gonna be a good path for you. If you're if you're not really bothered and you know you don't really care whether your the inside of your house is painted white, red, or green, then um, <laughs> maybe you know maybe you might need to work at it a little bit more. But what do you think? Yeah. What sort of personality would you say? Yeah, I think you need, I personally think you need to be um, a natural there's going to be some kind of artistic flair there. Like it's got to already be there. And that could be in anything. You could be artistic, whether it's with a pencil and drawing, or it could be anything else like, yeah. Um, having that creative um, touch about you is definitely going to help. Hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been an artist all my life. I've, I've come from like, you know, GCSE art, A-level art, studied um, design principle, design theory, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't even know any about anything about the theory behind it i just knew how to draw i i knew you know colors and how they worked and shading and you know background foreground all of this kind of stuff i just knew it mm. by watching art programs from back in the day and so for me being a creative person and loving art it was i was a natural at it but i think when it comes down to the design we're talking about so you know design with regards to web or you know branding or whatever we'll, we'll get into that in a bit I think um, having an understanding of the principles will definitely help. Like you don't necessarily have to have that artistic flair there, but if you have the understanding of the principles behind it, you definitely can get started with it and start getting things together. So you think that someone who's not a creative by nature can learn? Yeah, I think if they understand the principles behind it, they can definitely learn it. They can, you know, get started and. But the thing is, it's, it's a case of being repetitive with it and doing it, you know, every day. You need to just be hands-on with it because it's, it's not, it's not, there's theory involved, yeah, but you need to be hands-on with it. So you need to be, you know, drawing with your hands, you need to be using the tools, the software, etc. Yeah. Um, so, but if you're a natural, you know, artistic person, you've got that, um, you've got the bonus, basically, you've got that bump on everyone else, I think. Yeah, yeah, like there are definitely some principles, but a lot of design is based around feeling as well. If it feels good, mm. it looks good, you know, mm. to to one person, it may not look good to another person, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong, yeah. you know, it's it's all yeah. very subjective, isn't it? It is, yeah, art subjective, design is, yeah, it's the same sort of thing, definitely. Yeah, um, when we talk about principles, do you want to go through some of what these principles are? There's, you know, there's the there's a list uh, by Dieter Rams which is a sort yeah. of a famous principles list. Um, he wrote a, uh, well, did he write a book? I don't know, probably just 
wrote an article or something, uh, the 10 principles of good design. Um, I'm just going to bring yeah. those up, actually. They're, they're actually really interesting. So yeah. they're, they're, they're not really about the technicalities of design. They're, they're just like um, like a mantra to live by, really, aren't they? Yeah, and I think his, these principles apply to all kinds of design. So this is world you know, design. It could be architecture. It could be fashion. It could be interior. It could be graphics. It could be anything. Yeah. So it's applicable to any um, part of design. So... Yeah, um, so yeah. like one of his principles is like good design is innovative. And mm. it, it you know, it's a simple thing. It's like sometimes you you don't need to you don't want to just be regurgitating the same old thing over and over again. Um, you know, the world is constantly changing, so design needs to change with it as well. And uh, mm. you know, design can lead that as well. It can lead the change, it doesn't always have to follow change as well. Um mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've got um good design makes a product useful. But you know, we've seen that like everywhere. Like you see that in your mobile phone devices, how the mobile phones evolved over time and the design just changes just the slight modifications over time makes the device even easier and better to use. Right? Um cars as well. Car design constantly this in innovation and you know, useful design um aspects that I employed in car design. And whether it's exterior or interior, it's just, you know, something that's just used throughout. It doesn't matter what part of, um, doesn't matter what sector you're working in, design employed in, in the sector you're working in the right way can be very, very useful. Mm. Um, yeah, and, you know, all kinds of products. There's so many different types of products coming out all the time. And, you know, people are jumping on them now because there's a lo- there's loads of products out there which have become really, really useful for example, there's that um, the toothpaste holder which you plug in your toothpaste and then you just turn at the bottom mm. and it squeezes out the toothpaste at the top. Design there, you know, someone thought of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, that's with anything, right? Any product, you know. Yeah, you just don't think about it. The smallest, the, the, the smallest thing, you just don't think about it. sitting on your table right in front of you right now has been designed by someone. Yeah, I mean, one of his principles as well, number five on his list is good design is unobtrusive, and. It's yeah. basically what it is, right? It gets out of the way. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't hinder you. It doesn't uh, doesn't put up a blocker, and mm. it just becomes normal. It's like it's always been like this, but obviously mm. that whatever you look at, you look at a pencil, you look at uh, your keyboard, you look at your phone, your screen in front of you, the camera, your headphones that you're wearing right now, the steering wheel you might be holding while you're driving. All of that has come mm. from someone's mind and maybe gone onto a piece of paper and then gone through that product cycle. And, uh, yeah. you know, one of the things that always fascinates me is like, how do they design the machines that build the machines? This is it. Yeah. I, I look, I watch those programs and, you know, how, how do they, um, make that or, you know, one of those kind of programs. Yeah. So it's like, you're watching a machine create like a, whatever it is, like a widget, but then you're like, there's a machine that created the parts of the machine that created that widget. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy, but there's, you know. But that's what it is, right? Uh, it's all like design yeah. can be, it can touch any of those points along the way. Yeah. yeah but yeah, it's, it's, his principles are really interesting. It's worth reading. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes. We won't go over all 10 of them now because. Yeah, there's um, quite a few there. Yeah, the, the, it's just a good read. Um, mm. Yeah, so other principles, you know, you've got things like uh, color, typography, um, grid systems. Um, we've got like negative space and how to use that. 
not make your designs too cluttered. And mm. and also there's loads of different styles of design as well, which have changed over the years and you know, trends that have come along come and gone as well. And it's uh it's good to just sort of know about those as well. Uh, keep keep your eye on the ball, um, follow the trends, maybe try and try and make your own trends. You know, you don't have to necessarily just follow them, yeah. but try and um modify them and remix them. Um mm. but understand why they're there and where they've come from and no i think the, the point you just picked out there was um you know the the different trends that are out there i think in the styles different designers have different styles right it's like the artists um from you know back in the day even modern art um i think it's important to find a style and kind of go with it and you know try and make it your your way of working um rather than using someone else's kind of style create your own one if you can try and be unique yeah i mean there's nothing wrong yeah. with obviously looking at what's happened what's come before you and taking inspiration no definitely not um, inspiration's key yeah yeah um but yeah like color theory like it's good to know what types of colors go go well together why do certain mm. colors go well together um why are colors arranged in a wheel um mm. generally and um how does color work differently in print and how does it work differently on a screen? Uh, how mm. do colors mix together um, to form different colors and things like that? Uh, and it's, it's just generally a good idea to understand that because you can, you can quite easily have colors which are clashing and they may not necessarily look clashing uh, while, you're, while you're doing a design, but once you put them onto a screen or blow them up to a mm. certain size, like having a bright red right next to a, a bright blue, you can mm. you can create this like a halo effect in between where the where the two colors join, which can be quite jarring to your eyes. So yeah, knowing, it starts to jump at you. Yeah, yeah, knowing things like that. But then you know you can also lean into that as well, depending on the type of design you're doing. Uh, you mm. can make it work, um, but it's knowing those boundaries as well, knowing when to make that work and when not to. Mm. Yeah, what about typography? What are your thoughts? Typography. Yeah, I mean, I was never a huge. I wasn't never big on typography but it really has grown on me and you know i think it's important um having the right type of um fonts or typefaces <laughs> as some designers like to call it or typographers want to call it um you know you know you've got pairings as well which is very important yeah. in your newspapers and you're reading newspapers they use they always use a certain pairing as well um and the web all across the web different websites you know they very it's very clever it's a very clever way of drawing the user and keep them kind of you know glued onto screen and reading through what you want them to read yeah um you know i think it's um yeah it's very important now yeah, especially now because huge. you know in the early parts of the web there was uh, the concept of web safe fonts so yeah. websites yeah. had maybe a choice of i don't know 15 or 20 fonts at the most um mm. Some of them weren't very nice, so everyone tended yeah. to stick to the same ones. You had Ariel, you had Verdana, you had Times New Roman, Tahoma, <laughs> Garamond, you know, Trebuchet. Those are the few that I can think of, and yeah. they were used everywhere, right? And now mm. that you've got things like Google Fonts and Web Fonts and and all sorts, you can yeah. pretty much, you know, take your pick really. And um, yeah. Now it's now more than ever. It's uh, it's important to understand typography and how certain fonts sit next to each other, and you know how things are going to look at different sizes and how they scale mm. and how 
capital letters and lowercase letters work work, work with each other, ligatures and and all sorts. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy now, and you know there's some really nice examples out there. We could probably put them in the notes. I've I've, I've got a list down of some really cool sites that use um, classic kind of serif fonts, and the way they make use of it is is just brilliant for a modern type of business as well. A lot of these are like modern startups yeah. using serif style fonts, which is very classic. But yeah, it's just it's really cool. We could probably just share them in the notes and stuff. Um, yeah. It's understanding things like letter spacing and line spacing and line height and yeah yeah and and how that can impact the overall look of a design not not just the overall look sorry um, but also how easy it is to read as well having yeah. text that is uh, too close together what that can what impact that has on on certain people having long mm. lines that are too long what impact that mm. has when you're reading large you know, prose, large blocks of yeah. text. Is, you know, there's a reason that newspapers have thin columns, and why uh, exactly. certain like news blogs have a certain width of their mm. of their text because it just makes it easier to read. And uh, you know, there's principles about how long a line should be before before it wraps. How many words? Yeah. Uh, how many words should be in a paragraph? How many and things like mm. that as well to consider. Yeah. Yeah, I'm using that a lot in, in websites recently uh, with one client in, in particular. He, he's got a page template which we set up for him, which is 100% width. I mean, the width's about 1,200 pixels. And he was writing paragraphs the full length of that, mm. right? And the, the font size was like, you know, 14, 15 pixels or something like that. And it was just way too much. You can imagine looking at that on your screen and thinking, holy hell, you know, how am I going to, you know, get to the bottom of this paragraph? So there's a bit of an education there, you know, for him. So just letting him know, look, you know, you're better off breaking that up using two columns, you know, split it all up, make it easy to, easy to digest for the user who's going to be reading it. And and then he got, he understood it. And now he's creating blogs, which are just following, you know, the principles that I've given him in terms of, you know, using typography. Even um, he wants to use black for the text. And, you know, you shouldn't really use pure black, like zero, 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 as your um, typeface color on, on a white background. It should be off black. Yeah. Um, and there is, it's to do with your eyes, it's to do with perception and your rods and cones and all that kind of stuff. And so it's better to go off black and go, you know, like a dark gray color. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's not as harsh as true black on a white background. Yeah. There's things like that to consider as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is where sort of feeling comes into it, isn't it? Mm, mm. Yeah, sometimes you you, you might see black, pure black on white, and um, yeah, it can just be a bit of a strain on your eyes if you've been looking at it too long and just just dropping it down to like a eight, 85, 90 percent mm. um, black. It just yeah, it just takes that pressure off your eyes and you be able to read for a lot longer. Most of the yeah, yeah. text-heavy sites like Medium and uh, like most blogs. You you mm. tend to notice that yeah it's not pure black. Yeah yeah you get that screen burn you get that you get it imprinted in your eyes and you blink. Yeah 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 definitely. Yeah. Um, what about grid systems? What do you think? Yeah, um, I remember back in the day when they weren't really, it wasn't you know, that that obvious, um, especially in web design. It, you know when I when I got into web design I was just kind of creating pages with some kind of there was strategy behind it in the way things were 
set up, but I, I never thought of it being like there's a grid system behind it. I was literally just putting down everything on the page and organizing it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I you know started down and said, "All oh, right, okay, so you've got there's this grid system where you can have three columns, four columns, six columns, two columns, one column, etc." And you can arrange them how you like. And yeah, so it started to make more sense to me when I started using, I think it was called the 960 grid or something. I can't remember. It was like a framework. 960 grid, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, huge help that is. And I think getting a grid down or working on a grid um, canvas, like if you, you know, whatever your design tools are, if you've got a grid canvas set up and it'll make life so much easier to arrange your um, content on a page. Yeah. We know it could be a website. It could be you know, it could be designing a business card, or a you know a leaflet or something. Having a grid in place definitely makes life easier. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't just um, apply to like columns on a website. It could be you know a, a pixel grid, which you mm. design an icon against. Um, yeah, yeah. It could be guides that you put up on your page to set up your margins for your your page layout, um, things like that. And it's just a case of making sure that things line up uh, both horizontally and vertically vertical grid is is very important as well um the spacing between elements um vertically as well and um yeah there's quite a few different grid systems out there like you said there's a 961 there's obviously bootstrap um yeah. and then there's a another theory called the eight point grid, grid system which is basically just um multiples of eight instead of ten um, most grid systems tend to stick with multiples of ten so like uh, margins and gutters are tens, twenties, and thirties, and so on. Um, but there's this one article. It's on. It was on the yeah the Spec Network, the podcast network. They had a. They've got a blog as well. I'll need to dig out the article. Um, but one of their designers, uh, Bryn Bryn Jackson, I believe it was, that wrote it. Uh, he wrote this article about the eight point grid system, and it was just multiples of eight instead. And okay. it, the reason for it was that. 8 has a lot more factors and multiples than 10 does because 8, you can divide it uh, in half and in quarters mm. and in eighths. Yeah. Whereas with a 10, once, you've split, once you go half size, you're at 5. And then yeah. once you, if you need to go half again, then you're start, you know, sitting in like half pixels. And yeah, and you don't want it that. Was, it's a really good article and it makes a lot of sense. So I do tend to use a, an 8-point system where I can now. Um on the web, it's quite easy because you can set up variables for your margins and your paddings and your sizes, and then you can have multiples of, of those variables. So you only need to set it once. Um, in your design tools, things like Figma, Sketch, you can adjust your nudge size. So the nudge size is like when you hold down Shift and one of the arrow keys, how far an element moves. By default, it's normally 10, but you can change that to 8 as well. So it is something that you can adopt quite easily. But it's just, you've got to change your way of thinking a little bit. You've got to learn your eight times table for starters. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. My maths is pretty poor. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, just to say, grid systems, they, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be like a neat grid. It could be a range of different columns and rows. But they're there for a reason. And they're there just to help you align your elements whether they're on yeah. the print, whether they're for print, for the web, or just small icons even. Yeah, one thing I found was, um, you know, a lot of websites that I was designing, a lot of the page layouts were very symmetrical. And when you're 
like viewing a website and scrolling down you're not kind of you're not i don't know how to put this but when it's all symmetrical you're kind of just accepting what what's there and you, you're not kind of pushed to kind of go into it and read mm. what i have found is by using hotjar which is a tool that allows you to kind of view people's uh, web usage it's really interesting I started to introduce asymmetrical layouts. Okay. So, you know, lopsided design. So left side is a bit bigger than the right side, overlapping a bit of, um, uh, using negative space, etc. Yeah. And really starts to pull people into the page and get them to actually start reading stuff. Okay. And yeah, I've noticed it. It's really strange. I did some AB testing and just, just watched a couple of people, um, via hotjar and notice their reactions to the two pages two landing pages and the asymmetric one was was getting a lot more time being spent on it and a lot more interaction going on so clicking through through like a gallery you know looking at the images highlighting text um you know kind of you can see the mouse pointer as well kind of where they're placing it and what they're doing with it whereas the symmetrical one there was none of that going on it was like yeah, you know, that's interesting. Just kind of yeah. browsing through it. Yeah, it is. I guess it's like a pull quote, you know, that you get on an article. Yeah. The, the whole reason yeah. that that quote is there is to draw your draw your eye to something, and um, exactly, it's normally a bigger font, maybe a different color, and normally like that's right, uh, sort of slightly offset or sticking out of the yeah. grid, out of the box, things exactly. like that. And yeah, it just it just like throws people off guard. Like, you know, you're here reading all this. Uh, like this block of text, but here's something that's just off to the side and it'll just catch your attention and just break your flow a little bit. Yeah, because a lot of times we think about design and we think about how things got to look neat and perfect and symmetrical and, you know, nice. And isn't always a way. Yeah. Especially with, uh, you know, with layouts like this that people are going to, you know, be looking at and reading, etc. Yeah. Well, there is a style for that. There is, like, the the minimalist style where everything's very neat and straight and you know small and compact and petite and regular mm. all those sorts of words but then you've got like brutalist design which is there to yeah. throw you off and it's like got big big fonts and maybe throws in weird italics and you know overlapping images and things that just don't quite sit together but they also do sit together because that's you know they're they're running with it mm. So there's yeah there's quite a lot of design styles and these styles have like evolved over the years haven't they they're, they're nothing yeah, they new have, yeah. they just sort of come about again 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 and again in different formats mm. yeah good stuff so there's quite a lot of principles um, it's good to know them uh, good to understand what they are and why they're there um, should we move on to like the specifics of certain types of design as well that you might mm. need to know. So you've got, you've got print, you've got the web, uh, you've got product design, you've got maybe app design. What other types of design? Industrial design. I don't know too much about industrial, to be honest, but... You've got, I think, you know, you can throw interiors in there. You can put, you know, garden design, which was something I was interested in when I was in college. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. You, you've got to get into your architecture and understand, like, your... I think it's your bird's eye view, orthographic projection. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really kind of crazy kind of stuff. You just got to get your head around 3D, which is a whole different ball game when it comes to design. 
because web etc is all 2d um but yeah you know that side of it you need to understand the third dimension yeah. and how that works so i suppose for the yeah. purpose of like for this podcast and the the type of audience we probably have um mm. so we're probably looking at web print mm. possibly and mainly app design i would say yeah so, illustration which is blown up on the web recently oh yeah yeah definitely a lot of people just getting into illustration creating really nice illustrations for websites yeah definitely um so what what i'm trying to get at is whatever your style of design or your chosen field is is if you want to be a good designer in that field you need to know the what's possible and what the limitations and what the possibilities are of that field as well so for print you know understanding how how color works differently in print and how it works on a screen and how to have how you may be designing your your artwork um on a screen but then when you need to send it to a printer you need to make some adjustments and make sure that you know the color space is correct so on a screen you're going to be viewing things in rgb color space and then when you want to send it to a printer you're going to be working with the cmyk color space mm. and how that separation works yeah you might also need to know how different paper works and how yeah. how much color certain paper stock can take and things like that yeah learn your pantones as well pantone references and yeah i mean you know what they to, are we used to do a lot of print design when we first started yeah. um way before we got into the web we were both of us, I think, we were well into print design, mm. designing flyers yeah. and brochures and booklets, and business cards. And it's one of those things where if you get it wrong, you get your yeah. work back from the printer and you're like, well, this looks <laughs> nothing like what I what I sent you. And then, yeah. yeah, and the printer tells you, well, you sent me a RGB file and our printer yeah. treats that differently and all of a sudden your blue looks like a yellow. You get a negative, basically. I remember that happened to me once when I first got into it. Yeah. And I sent an RGB work to them. They didn't even tell me. They didn't correct it or anything. They just printed it all off, sent it back to me. Here you go, mate. I look at it. It was literally a negative yeah. version of what I designed. I was like, oh, this isn't right. It's surprising how wrong it can go, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But even, um, like I was saying, with paper stock and how much ink you can have on it, this, there is a, mm. such a thing as having too much colour. And it may not look yeah. like too much color on screen, but once you start printing, you're putting layers and layers of ink onto this paper and it can go to the point where the ink just basically bleeds through. Um, yeah. So it's about choosing the right thickness of paper to match the, the amount of color that you've got on the page. So yeah, print design is a whole whole world in itself. Yeah, I think some point is out there, if you want to get into print design, look up some um th there's some links that we can put in the notes regarding um what values to use especially for like you know your black tones and blues etc because there's special kind of combination of values you can use to get the right kind of black when you're printing yeah because sometimes when you do it if you do like you know what you think is proper black when it's printed it's not yeah because on screen you might do 100 percent black yeah uh rgb which is like zero 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 six zeros and then yeah. you then convert that to cmyk and it comes out like a washed gray color yeah and you think, okay exactly. this isn't right okay so you've got c m y and k so cyan magenta yellow and k for what's the k stand for the k is just black isn't it but why is, um, why is it k i don't know <laughs> i did know <laughs> yeah we haven't done print in a while but anyway k is black and you think all right let me put the k value to 100 percent. that's going to be pure black isn't it no 
Yeah. No, it doesn't work quite. It doesn't, doesn't quite work, work like that. that. It's going to look horrible. It's going to use too much ink, and it's going to bleed through your paper. So then you need to find the right balance. See. So yeah. yeah. I can't remember what I used to use. It was sixty forty something something. I can't remember, but it's around there those kind of values. Number, Definitely. And you can see yeah. that, just you learn your, that if you've got a laser printer at home or even just an inkjet uh, printer mm. which has four separate colours, if all you ever do is print in black and white, you'll notice that all your colours are getting used up as well. Because yeah. that's the printer is smart enough to um, to mix the colours to give you a, a good-looking black without without putting too much ink on the paper. So it's pretty clever. Yeah, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Bleed bleed as well. <laughs> Another massive thing with print design, know your bleed. Yeah. <laughs> and now to set it up on your document. Yeah, because yeah, you're gonna send your send your artwork to a printer and they're just gonna cut the corners off. Yeah, let's chop it all off and you're like, What? <laughs> we should do a whole show on print design. You should, because it is we'll have to get you know, as as archaic as it sounds, like you know, I used to do a lot of print design, like magazines, leaflets, business cards, posters. And you, know, you see a really complicated, like a two color print process. You use process colors and you need to give them the value of the inks you're using from Photoshop or using your Pantone a swatch. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And things get really, really hairy yeah. when you're messing around with a two color or three color process. But we won't get into that now. Yeah. So all, you, all you sketch users <laughs> out there, all you Figma users, don't even bother trying to print your yeah. work professionally because you're not going to get the right colors out of those two apps. You're going to have to go to yeah, leave it. You're going to have to go to InDesign uh, or an, or an equivalent of that. This episode of Inspect is sponsored by Porkbun.com, where you can get a free .design domain name for one whole year. If you've ever tried to find the perfect URL for your design business, you probably know how hard it is to find an available .com. But now you have another option with dot design. A dot design domain name reflects what you do as a designer and helps elevate your branding. Major brands like Slack, Adobe, Airbnb, Evernote, and Amazon are already using dot design. And the domain name is recognized in the same way as any other top level domain name by Google. Your free dot design domain name comes with free email hosting, SSL security, free site builder, and free who is privacy. Customers, clients and employers instantly understand what you do before arriving at your website. Unlike .com or .net, .design is more relevant and resonates with your audience. So to get your hands on a free .design domain name for one year, head to porkbun.com forward slash TLD forward slash design and enter the code inspectpodcast at checkout. Thank you to Porkbun for sponsoring our show. So on the web, there's um, you got to know things like, uh, well, you got to know about your devices, what devices mm. are you, you're building the web for, um, different browsers, what the capabilities are. Um, you know, it's very easy to design the hell out of a website, but you might not be able to build it if you need to support an older browser like yeah. like Internet Explorer. Um, how does it work across different device sizes? You know, mobile, tablet, and, you know, very large screens. A lot of the time you see designers uh, make, make the mistake of designing to a laptop screen because they're using mm. a MacBook, for example. 
and um, maybe build a website to scale 100%, only view it on a laptop screen, and then later on down the line, someone puts it onto a 32-inch monitor or something, and you can't <laughs> read it. It just looks, everything's yeah. blown out of proportion, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it happens happens a lot. Um, mm. So it's knowing things like that, knowing your medium, isn't it? knowing where your design mm. is going to end up uh, is yeah. is important. Got anything else to add to that? No, I think you covered it there. You know, responsive design is huge now, mobile first. Um, don't get hung up on how a website is looking on a laptop or desktop when, you know, the chances are over 78% of the users will be on a mobile. Mm. So design for mobile, you know, you you know, everything's stacked on top of each other on a mobile, right? That's how we're looking at it. But how can you make that more interesting for the user, you know? You know, try and you know get take an image instead of displaying it in the center of the screen, push it off the off the right a little bit. You know, nudge it out of the way, use your negative sort of margins, etc., and just make things interesting for mobile where you can. Um, but definitely, you know, mobile first. Try and get into the habit. It's something I've found even to this day hard to kind of get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, try and get into the habit of designing for mobile first. Yeah, it does because it's it makes you limit yourself, right? Well, you don't have mm. you don't have to limit yourself. That's that's not the right way to think of it. It puts a puts you into a smaller box, right? Mm. So it puts some restrictions onto you, and you have to get creative. It's not necessarily yeah. a limitation, um, but it makes you think about what's the most important information because you need to get that into your mobile design first, and then as you expand to bigger screen sizes, you can maybe start introducing a bit more bit more flair just for visual sake but your information mm. that you need to get across in your design needs to be needs to be there on the mobile first right yeah yeah what about app design what do you think oh yeah you know um i mean i haven't done many uh, but there's a there's a lot to think about there um you know looking at your the different devices you know is it is it going to be native? And you know, you got to think about that. Are you using you know what are you using? To, who, who's developing? What they're using to develop it? What tools are in place? You know, you could get very very creative with your design, but is that all going to be possible in terms of the build side of things? Right? Um, you know, I'm very new to it. Um, you know, similar to mobile right? um, web design, right? Mobile web design, very similar to that. Yeah, but one important yeah. thing if you're doing app design for, say, iOS mm. or Android, is uh, they both those platforms have got some guidelines that you need to follow. Mm. Um, you know, your apps will get rejected if they don't meet certain guidelines. So you can't just do whatever you want. Is that taking into design into account as well? Then, um, yeah, yeah, to an extent, yeah. Obviously, there's mm. some there's there's some leeway. Or certain things like mm. if you if you're designing a game for example then you've got a bit more freedom right yeah but if you're designing yeah. like a functional app like let's say you're designing a uh, an email client mm. there's going to be an expectation for it to be designed in a way where you can navigate in a certain style got you. you know your actions need to be clear how to how to create uh -huh. a new email how um things like gestures which people are going to be used to does your app include those gestures have you accounted for those um swiping and stuff like that so basically get to know the guidelines of the device that you're designing for get to know the specs of the design the device you know what is the screen size what is the resolution how does that impact 
your design? Uh, how does it work when it's in landscape and in portrait and stuff like that? So just getting to know your medium as well as you can. Yeah, retina display, all of that. You know, you don't want your graphics coming out all blurry and stuff. So yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, it's surprising how many websites and apps still have blurry graphics to today. Mm. So many. Yeah. So many. But it's not obvious to everyone, right? And this is where you got to learn. Definitely. So what else? What else have we got? What about being a bit more specialist in certain fields? What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, it's all good learning about design, but, you know, you might want to get into a specific sort of area. Um, the way I did it was, you know, I was, um, I was just a graphic designer, if you like, designing everything, logos, you know, branding, all kinds of, you know, large format, small format, leaflets, posters, you name it. And then I went across to web design, um, designed some apps, designed uh, motion graphics, um, did some 3D work, pretty much touched everything on, on, on that sort of spectrum and and kind of became like an all-rounder. And it's probably good to know a bit of everything, I think. But try not to be a jack of all trades. Try and find that one area where you can kind of master it and be a specialist at. But then if anything else comes along, you can easily kind of tackle it. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think. I think it's good to know all of them. But kind of, yeah, specialise in one aspect of it, definitely. I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long I think we've, I think we have covered everything. Yeah, we're just coming to my bit, and my bit is very similar to what you've mentioned. Yeah. Um, software we haven't really mentioned, have you? Software, um, yeah. Okay. Invest, yeah, invest in design tools. Okay, so what about software then? So you, you, you can you can get started for free. Um, you can pick up Figma, which is free. Um, if you're going to be doing UI design, then you you want to reach for a tool which is. Is which is vector based like Figma, like Sketch, like uh, Adobe XD. They're all good. They're all very similar. Um, find one that's comfortable for you. Um, mm. They all they can all definitely reach the same end goal. Um, when it comes to maybe uh, well, why would you why would you pick Photoshop over over like Sketch or Figma? What do you think today? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I, I grew up using, well, I started using Coral Draw back in the day and Photo Paint and all these sort of classics. Um, I don't know if they sit around, but then Photoshop was the tool to have because everybody was using it as industry standard. So that's the only reason why I started using Photoshop. But then it was lagging behind when all of these other tools came out. The likes of Sketch and Figma, Photoshop was still behind. And they jumped on the whole, you know, responsive web design um, setup. And it just made sense to jump away from Photoshop and, you know, although Photoshop now supports all of that, yeah, it does, you know, it, it supports all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I've, I've left it permanently and I don't think I'll ever go back to to, to be you, honest with you when it comes down to... In your opinion, do you think anyone who's designing for the web uses mm. Photoshop to design for the web these days? I, I've, I, I've had files sent over to me PSD files from designers, web designers. <laughs> yeah. So, there, yeah. You know, there is a need for it as well. There, there is always going to be a need for graphics 
in design, you know, raster graphics rather than just yeah. vectors all the time. And the manipulation of those images as well, creating mm. textures, creating, you know, brush effects. These sorts of things are very hard to do in Figma and Sketch. Yeah. Um, obviously, you can import graphics into those, so you may do the final layout in in uh, Sketch Figma, but mm. creating the actual artwork, you, you probably still reach for Photoshop now and then as well. I haven't yeah. used Photoshop in a long time. I've got Affinity Designer, which is okay. Um, yeah. As a as an alternative, but I did love Photoshop. Wouldn't mind investing. Yeah, in. Photoshop was it was brilliant. Um, but I've moved I've moved to Affinity Designer, and I use Affinity Photo. So anything sort of Photoshop orientated, I'll use Affinity Photo for it. Yeah, and then, I meant Affinity Photo actually. Yeah, yeah that's what I meant. And Aff Affinity Design um, is your is your vector based one as well. Um, and I use that for everything. Anything else. Um, and Illustrator don't use anymore, so I think Infinity Designer kind of replaces that. If you like, yeah, Affinity also have um, Affinity Publisher, which I haven't used, but that's like their yeah. their Adobe InDesign, InDesign. alternative. Yeah. yeah, so if you are going to do print design, um, you know, magazine layouts, brochure layouts, then uh, it's worth checking out Affinity Publisher. How much is it? It's not that expensive. It's not. 20, that's the thing. You just pay a one-off yeah, uh, fee for it. Twenty-three pounds yeah. for a one-off fee. That's pretty good. Yeah. Compared to InDesign, which is going to be a monthly around ten pounds a month. So yeah. Quite a big saving. I think. I think they're good um, alternative. And then recently, I came across a Vectornator on the Mac. Okay. Uh, which is really nice vector tool. But you know, I'd I'd say if you're going into illustration. Um, or you know, typeface. You're going to create typefaces and fonts. Vectornator is going to be the tool for that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Well, based on our notes, I think we sort of covered the gamut there. Um, that's another word you need need to learn if you're getting into design, gamut. print design, gamut, screen yeah. design. Yeah, learn what gamut means. Um, let us know on Twitter if you know what it means. Um, so yeah, so personality-wise, someone who's creative, got an eye for detail, you know, got an interest in the way things look and the way things work. Um, not mm. everyone has, but it's something that, you know, can be learned and can be appreciated. It's good if you've already got that. Um, learn your design principles. Have a look at Dieter Ram's principles, if you, especially if you're going to product design, because I think they're, they are definitely a bit more product design focused, but they do apply to everything. Mm. Learn about colour, yeah. typography, grids, and then um, yeah, know the medium, know know what sort of design you're you're planning on doing, and just get to know that platform, get to know the what's possible, what limitations you have, how you might need to change your your way of working, what tools are correct for that medium, um, and just basically take a deep dive into it, and. Yeah, I think most importantly is like there's no bad design really. There's just mm. you know, it's 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 very subjective. There's definitely good design, but I wouldn't say that there's definitely a bad design. Mm. It's just it's just taste, isn't it? But taste yeah. Taste is something they can also develop as well and changes as well over time. So mm. it's one of those things. Design is just a funny old thing, isn't it? It's it's good it's a good job to be in. Good industry. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I love it, to be honest. I, you know, constantly looking at different websites out there and 
bookmarking them and thinking, oh, you know, a bit of inspiration there. I can definitely yeah. use that somewhere. Where are yeah. some good places to get inspiration? Rattle them off. <sighs> you know, I, I used to use those, um, was it CSS Zen and those kind of websites back in the day? Um, now it's a case of I just browse the web. I, I literally just look at what other websites are looking like these days. Like for example, e-commerce kind of trends. I'll go to the guys who are really pushing it, so like ASOS and people like that. Mm. Um, you know, Amazon are constantly changing small things and always introducing something different on their checkout process and stuff. So that's heavily design orientated. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, need. Uh, a lot of work to I, make that you know it, you imagine it just proves that design is never done exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, that's another thing i was going to say um anything you design is never set in stone uh, like for example when i design and build a website i always tell the client just remember it's never set in stone this is stage one and it's going to evolve your site is constantly evolving yeah exactly um for it to improve so just think keep that in mind as well yeah but just going back to inspiration yeah good places um behance um, yeah, behind brilliant, brilliant place yeah. for inspiration. Uh, Dribble, Dribble, of course. Um, mm. Even just uh, looking at like stock, stock uh, photography, stock vectors, things like that. Just get an idea of mm. what's trending, um, what style people are designing in these days, and what style of photography people are doing and using. All these sorts of things will really help. Um, keeping an eye on blogs, keeping an eye on news. You know, following companies who are passionate about design um it'll all just add to your overall arsenal of tools to choose from right when you're next designing your next project definitely you don't want to be hitting that brick wall all the time so yeah inspiration i, I always look at other in the big agencies the big boys out there whether they're content creators or web developers or whatever yeah um i'm always looking at what they're doing and what's in their portfolio for inspiration yeah definitely good stuff all right. Well, that's a wrap for today. Um, hope you like that. Hope you got some good information on how to become a designer if you are considering joining this field. Um, if you yeah. are a designer already, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on what it takes and what it, how you got into the industry yourself. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we'll catch you in the next show. Yeah, see you then. Nice one. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast player and feel free to drop us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at InspectFM and you can find the show notes for today's episode and a full archive of all shows over at inspect.fm.